you might want to keep your Bibles open at page 40. We're looking, as we've been in recent weeks, looking at the story of Joseph. We, we come to the, the end of the story, as uh, we've just heard. Um, but let me just pray as we look a bit more deeper in God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to not only understand it better, but understand what it is you want to teach us and what change you want to bring about in our lives, Lord. So, God, I I pray that you'd help me by your Holy Spirit to speak your word clearly. And I pray for my dear brothers and sisters here that you would open up all of our hearts to what it is you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, welcome if you're uh, new or a newcomer or you're um, not been for a while. It's good to, to see you this morning. And uh, do stay for tea and coffee at the end and get to know us and we can get to know you better as well. One thing you'll know as you, you get to know me um, is that one of the things I like is Liverpool Football Club. And uh, my favourite team and they've had a fantastic season in that they've not lost a game in 44 matches, so even stretching back into last season, until yesterday afternoon when they lost, surprisingly, 3-0 to Watford. And it was kind of a reality check. Everyone thought this Liverpool team is perhaps one of the greatest teams ever. They're invincible. They cannot be beaten. And yet, last night, much to my surprise, they were beaten by Watford. And I put some on Facebook as a bit of a bit of a joke that uh, Lent is a season of reflection where we kind of um, are perhaps brought down and given a bit of a reality check and Liverpool last night were given a reality check that they're not invincible they're not perfect they can lose a game and in this season of Lent it's a season where we too can reflect and become more in tune with our imperfections our weaknesses and come to God with a spirit of repentance. On Wednesday, uh, we had a wonderful Ash Wednesday service down at St. Peter's in Drayton Bassett, and Sue and Lisa led a really wonderful service, and it was great to be part of that. And in the service, there's a point where we were, um, had the, the sign of the cross made on our foreheads with some ash, and Sue said some words from Genesis which remind us that from dust you came, and from dust you will return. And just in that moment, in the the worship, as I heard those words, it was just, had this deep sense of perspective that actually, you know, God is God and I am me. I am mortal, will one day die. God is immortal. But in that moment, to have a deep sense of God's love for me, God's forgiveness. Lent is a season where we can regain a bit of perspective. That's what I want to talk about this morning is about perspective, gaining perspective in life. Because in life we can easily lose perspective. We can lose perspective. I wonder what in your life or what may cause you to lose perspective, to lose sight of the bigger picture. For myself, as I think about when I can lose perspective, it's when I am sad, S-A-D. And by that, I mean either S, stressed, A, anxious, or D, down or depressed. So when I'm stressed, it's when I've got lots of demands on me. 
whether those are internal demands or external demands, or I've got a, a very busy workload, and it's like a heavy weight that I'm carrying. And in that moment, all I can feel is the weight of all these things I'm carrying, the stress. And I start to lose perspective. Or when I'm anxious, A, similar to the above of being stressed, I, you know, am I gonna get all these things I need to do done when they need to be done by? And I feel anything but peace. I feel in this constant state of worry and my headspace is just completely full of all this anxious thoughts and worry. I lose perspective. When I'm feeling down or, or maybe even depressed, I feel like I'm in the bottom of a hole or a pit and I can't see a way out. Or like it feels like there's some dark clouds over me and all I can see is the dark clouds and lose a sense of perspective that, you know what, those clouds will move and the sun will come out. But in that moment, all I feel is the darkness of the clouds or feeling at the bottom of the pit. It may be different for yourself. You know, I, how would you uh, end this sentence? I tend to lose perspective when I am dot, dot, dot. Or I tend to lose perspective when I feel dot, dot, dot. This morning, um, I'm calling this talk, The Bigger Picture in Life and in Death. Think about how we can gain the bigger perspective, the bigger picture in life and in death. And the big idea I want to share with you, and if you only remember sort of one thing this morning, then do remember this, is that whatever we're facing in our lives, it's not just how we feel and the emotions that we experience that is important, but what's also important is what we think in those moments, in that, the midst of that experience. Because how we think and think particularly about God in life and in death can give us a clearer perspective, can help us gain the bigger picture and therefore lead us into hope and a brighter tomorrow. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. So as I said, we're finishing this series looking at the life and character of Joseph. It's a fantastic story. So good they even made a musical about it. And I hope as you've journeyed with us in recent weeks, you've kind of seen how, how God you know, uses and works his blessings and promises through some of the most dysfunctional people and families. So this morning, I want to start with the first, first thing, to look at the bigger picture in life. And I'm going to look at the story of Joseph. We'll come to Jacob later, but firstly, look at Joseph and how we can gain the bigger picture in life. Because as I say, they're quite a dysfunctional family. And even in these final verses, we see the brothers are still schemers like Jacob. Um, it just kind of runs in the family and it doesn't seem to go away. So Jacob's died and they're afraid because now dad is dead. They're concerned Joseph might get his revenge for what they did to him. And there's no one to restrain Joseph. So what they do is they concoct this story that, you know, oh, Jacob, he left this message to say Joseph must really forgive them. The brothers, they're anxious. They are fearful. They doubt whether they can be really forgiven. 
for the terrible thing they did? Is Joseph's forgiveness just a bit of a facade, they wonder? Is it too good to be true? Well, Joseph's response is some really important verses for the whole of this story. That I'm going to read it again, verses 19 to 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph, he sees the bigger picture. He has the bigger perspective on it. He relates what's going on in his life to God. Joseph could easily have got his revenge. He was in a position of power. They were at his mercy. They even say, you know, we're, we're your slaves. But Joseph, he sees the bigger picture. He doesn't deny or condone the terrible thing that they did to him. He still acknowledges that. You know, what you did meant to harm me. He recognizes that. He acknowledges it. But he can see the bigger picture. He's able to forgive them because he can see the bigger picture. He sees that his story is about salvation. He sees that the God who's raised him up to this position of authority and influence is the God of salvation. The God who's used his gift of dream interpretation and who has used his wise leadership to save thousands of lives from the famine. You know, it wasn't Joseph just looking back on his life and being a little bit philosophical about it all. His bigger perspective came from his understanding of who God is and his relationship with God. His thinking about God enabled him to understand the bigger picture and in light of that, to find what is amazing grace to forgive his brothers. Just think back, if you were with us at the start of January when we began this series, of that arrogant 17-year-old Joseph who grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, thought the world revolved around him, grasped on his brothers, insensitively boasted of his dreams and the favor he was shown. But now Joseph, probably around about 40 now, is a different man. Yes, wisdom comes with age and experience, but what has shaped Joseph in those years is his relationship with God. He knows God. He's known God through the, through the trials and the hardships. He's known God in the peaks and in the troughs. He's known that God is a God of salvation, a saving God, a, a God who rescues, and he recognizes the part he's played in God's salvation. You know, in our own lives, we can, I think, be like those brothers. Overwhelmed, fearful, anxious, and anxious about the immediate situation we're in. You know, the brothers, their thinking isn't shaped by God. It's shaped by thoughts of fear, unforgiveness, punishment, rather than peace, forgiveness, and provision. But if we allow our thinking to be shaped by who God is, what God is like, and what God does, then it shifts our mindset. We're able to put things in perspective and get a better grasp of the bigger picture and what actually is important 
It moves us away from despair and towards hope. So in life, Joseph has the bigger picture, but it's through his relationship with God. Whatever we're facing, whatever's going on in our lives right now, if we've got our thinking right about who God is, the God we know, the God we love, the God who loves us, then it can help us to get the bigger picture in our lives. So that's the first thing, the bigger picture in life. Secondly, the bigger picture in death. And for this, I'm going to look at Jacob's death and his burial. So going back to the the first part of the reading, which Jenny read to us. So Jacob's ill. He's he's on his deathbed. He knows he's going to die. And in the preceding verses, he's, he's blessed his sons, speaking prophetic words over them. And now comes his dying wish to his sons. And in uh, chapter 49, verse 29, I'll just read it again. He says, then he gave these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Death is near, I'm about to die. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Jacob will die in the land of Egypt, but he requests to be buried in the land of Canaan. And as the following verses indicate, specifically in the cave where he buried his first wife, Leah, his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, are buried, and his grandparents, Abraham and Sarah. And so Jacob dies, and Joseph's given permission by Pharaoh, we might call it compassionate leave, to go up to Canaan and to fulfill his father's wish. And in those following verses, we get what's kind of described as pretty much a state funeral, Um, because we we hear of the Egyptian statesmen and the dignitaries and the chariots and the horses all travelling up to Canaan with Joseph and his large extended family for this funeral. I was reading one of the commentaries that said, uh, when a pharaoh died, um, national mourning didn't last beyond 72 days. And so the fact that Jacob's mourned for 70 days shows that both he and his family were were highly honoured by the Egyptians. He was very much a patriarchal figure. So that's the scene, but what's the significance of Jacob's burial request? Now, as we look at a story like this through our own cultural lens, we uh, may come to the conclusion that Jacob's dying request is, you know, because he wanted to be buried with his family, with his, you know, his parents, his grandparents, his ancestors, kind of in the same way in our churchyards, um, family members may be buried in the same plot. In our culture, and um, for some people, not for all, but for some people, you know, it's about who you're buried with, being buried with people of significance. And although the people is a factor, with Jacob it's more where he was buried, the place that he was buried, that is of greater significance than the people. Because the place of burial referred to a promise. The place referred to a promise. And the writer of Genesis, whether it's it's Moses or whoever, um, goes into some detail reminding us of this specific burial place. You know, it's the cave, and it was the cave that um, field that Abraham bought from this Hittite, which we read about earlier in Genesis. Why was it significant, this place? Well, it was significant because it referred back to a promise, a promise made by God to Abraham. In Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, he promises to bless him and make him and his family into a great nation. Then a few chapters later, in chapter 15, 
God promises Abraham that this land of Canaan, this land flowing with milk and honey, this land of abundance, it will be their inheritance. This will be the land where God's people will live under God's blessing and enjoy his bounty. And that blessing will flow out to all the peoples of the earth. So back to Jacob's request. He, he finishes his days in Egypt. That's where he's going to die and dies. But Egypt is not his inheritance. Canaan is his inheritance. And the thing is, Jacob, he won't see, won't live to see the day when God's people are living in, in God's land under God's blessing. But in being buried there, he's laying down a marker. It's kind of like Jacob is saying, here is my hope. My hope is in God's promises that this land will one day be ours, will be my people's. And in being buried in the cave, it's kind of like Jacob's sort of putting a flag in the ground. He's being buried with his forefathers in the, the land that is being renewed, that, that claim being renewed that it's their land. So in death, or rather when we are faced with death, sorry, when Jacob was faced with death, he could see the bigger picture. His burial spoke of his future hope, and his future hope was in God and what God had promised, even though he wouldn't live to see that promise fulfilled. His request to be buried there was not because he felt, you know, that would be a nice thing to do, but because it expressed his hope. And his hope came from not what he felt, but what he thought, what he knew. Importantly, what he knew about God, what he thought about God. His request to be buried in that place was because of his perspective, his bigger picture when faced with death. Jacob, he's effectively saying, bury me in that place because that is the place of God's promise. And if God has promised it, then I die and I'm buried into a sure and certain hope because God is a God who keeps his promises. He saw the bigger picture. So what about us? How does this apply to us? Well, when faced with our own death or the death of a loved one, if we have no theology, no thinking about God and his promises, then we have no perspective on the bigger picture and ultimately no hope. I mean, that is what it's like for a humanist and for a humanist funeral. There's a celebration of a, of a life, and rightly so. Um, and there's mourning, of course. But that's it. There's no bigger picture. There is no future of life beyond the grave. There is no hope. But if we as followers of Jesus... Um, you know, our thinking is about death is rooted in the promises of God. And like Jacob, we die in hope. Not a wishful thinking kind of hope, but a sure and certain hope that God will fulfill his promises. Of course, when we experience bereavement, the death of a loved one, you know, we will naturally feel rubbish, to put it mildly. We will mourn, we will grieve. It's part of what it means to be human. We may not do it in the same way as Jacob and his family did in a very different culture. That's what we'll feel about death. 
but what we think about death will be shaped by our theology. And if theology, you think, oh, that's a big word. Just think thinking about God, our understanding of God. That's what I mean. Because if we understand God and his promises, if that shapes our thinking, then like Jacob, we will have in death, whether we're facing our own death or that of a loved one, we'll have the perspective of the bigger picture. So where's the land where we kind of stick our flag as a sign and symbol of our hope when we face death? Where's this, this cave? Where's this field we need to find? Well, I can tell you there's no, there's no place. There's no cave. There's no field. We actually, we don't put our flag into a specific place, but into a person. That person is Jesus Christ. He is our inheritance. Not a geographical land, but God himself in Christ is our inheritance. We've been buried in Christ, Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. Our hope, our perspective on the bigger picture is found in Christ. As Christ was buried and raised to life, so too those who are buried in Christ will be raised with him. It is the promise of God. It is the bigger perspective. It is where our hope is found. In the Old Covenant, you know, in the Old Testament, the place of burial was important because God's people were to inherit the land. But in the New Covenant, that's all been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the land, so to speak. Of course, just a, 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 I suppose, a pastoral note, you know, the actual physical place of our burial or of a loved one, you know, whether that's as a body or ashes, you know, may be important to those that we leave behind, and that's absolutely fine, you know, it's a personal choice um, for, for the deceased and those who mourn. But the piece of ground, whether that's a churchyard or a football ground or wherever it may be, that's not what brings us the hope, it's not the land but it's being buried in the faith of Christ because God will fulfill his promises and raise us as he's raised Christ. I have the privilege of, you know, taking funerals. It is a privilege to, to lead people at what, what can be obviously a very difficult time. And uh, I always begin funeral services, whether it's at the Creme or here, by just saying, we're just going to begin by hearing some words from Scripture of the hope Christians have when faced with death. And I read some of those verses you'll know well and love. You know, Jesus says, on the way, the truth, and the life, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. These words of hope. And we'll feel rubbish at a funeral. We'll feel rubbish. But thinking, we can have this hope, which can be different to how we feel. It can be different to how we feel. These scriptures are the basis of our thinking, our theology. Like I say, we, we may feel many things when faced with death, but our thinking about God and who he is and his promises can give us the hope we need to help us see the bigger picture, even in death. So in life, Joseph saw the bigger picture. Despite the terrible things that happened to him, God used him 
to save not only his own family, but nations even. And and we ultimately see this fulfilled on Good Friday. You know, to people there, it was just another day. It was another um, rebel of the Romans being hung on a cross and crucified. But the bigger perspective, that it wasn't just another day. It wasn't just another criminal being crucified. This was Jesus saving the world, the bigger picture. In death, Jacob saw the bigger picture. He went to his grave with a sure and certain hope that God's promises about that land would be fulfilled. The land he was buried in would be his people's inheritance. And we see this ultimately fulfilled on Easter Day, on Easter Sunday, when God raises Jesus from the grave. The bigger perspective is that now death has been defeated and all who are buried in Christ, all who have hope in God's promises will be raised too. So how do we apply some of this stuff to our lives? What can we, what can we do um, to apply this? Well, um, here are just a, f- a, f- a few thoughts and um, share from my own experience. Uh, I can lose sight of God's promises and his truth. You know, at times and seasons in my life or in the year even, I can lose sight of God's promises. And sometimes it's been when I've been on holiday, you know, you're, you're totally relaxed and you kind of slip in reading the Bible, not, not perhaps uh, praying so much, and just begin to lose sight of God and his kingdom and his priorities and his promises. And then my thinking becomes more shaped by the things of this world than the things of God's kingdom and begin to lose perspective. What can help me to get God's perspective and my thinking right? And it's kind of the basic stuff, really. Um, Prayer. Prayer really helps to recalibrate our thinking and our perspective. When I pray, it reminds me that God is God and I am me. You know, as Mark mentioned earlier, we're doing this uh, teaching series on the Lord's Prayer every Thursday. Come along down at Camwell. Um, have some space for worship and prayer. Reconnect with God during Lent. So prayer, scriptures, they remind me of the truth. Even if I don't feel it, I need to know it. The truth, Jesus says, you know, uh, here's the truth and the truth sets you free. That the word is a sword to combat the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, the lies we tell ourselves. Worship, worship helps me to reconnect with God. You know, we are created as worshippers. We'll all worship something or other. But when we're worshipping God, and particularly in sung worship, for me that really helps me just refocus, recalibrate, reconnect with God. And lastly, fellowship. So important. So, so important. Because the Christian life is not a solitary journey. We've got a journey together. It's been great doing Alpha at the moment. Uh, we've got the Kintsugi, Kintsugi Hope group going. It's great. Small groups. You know, that sharing life together, that journeying together, help us to, to stay focused on what is important. And I think if we just neglect these basics, then we will drift. We will drift. You know, we're more likely to lose perspective and be overwhelmed by how we feel in any given situation. You know, we're in a broken world we are broken. And the natural inclination of our minds will be to drift away from what is true, to lose sight of God's promises and the perspective that brings. 
So, kind of over to you, what might God be calling you to sort of recalibrate in this season of Lent to help you reconnect with him, to have your mind reshaped, renewed by who God is and his promises. I spoke for long enough, but I just want to finish with a a little story um, to kind of land this. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, just at home, and it was kind of lunchtime, and I thought the dog needed to go for a little walk. So I thought, yep, got time just to take the dog around the block, and uh, that'd be good. And I thought, yeah, I'll go for a little walk with the dog, and I'll I'll use that time to pray, and just uh, as I'm walking the dog, you know, quietly be praying into a few things. And so got out with the dog, sort of, 10 seconds into, into uh, the walk, my mind started drifting and I wasn't praying. And uh, my mind drifted because it was cold and it was wet because it just started to rain. And I was like, oh, I really like time this badly, but the dog needs a walk. It starts to rain, I'm feeling cold. I've got these trainers which I need to replace because it's got holes in, so my like, socks are getting wet as I'm walking around. And I'm just feeling a bit annoyed, a bit grumpy. And, and then I think, oh, and I'm supposed to be praying. <laughs> so then I start to feel guilty. Anyway, walk around uh, the corner of the, um, the street, and then there is the most amazing rainbow, like over Drayton Bassett, like from one end of the bow to the other. You know, you can almost see the pot of gold. You know, it's just like, there it is in the sky. And I'm just like, wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. And it's almost like God just wanted, me, wanted to show me that, you know, because I was thinking, oh, I shouldn't be walking the dog in the rain. And, uh, just thinking about how I feel, you know, I feel cold, I feel wet. Oh, and I'm supposed to be praying. And then God just shows me this big picture, this rainbow. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's kind of worth it, actually. Because in that moment, my eyes are lifted and I had a, a totally different perspective of that walk around the block. You know, if you know the story of Genesis, a rainbow is actually a symbol of a promise in the story of the flood, you know, to Noah, a promise that God won't flood the earth. And no matter how cold and wet I was feeling, you know, there was God's promise before me. You know, if you only remember one thing, remember that, that however we feel, whatever emotions we're, you know, we're feeling, there is still God's promise, there's God's truth, and we can reconnect with that. You know, in life or when faced with death, you know, there may be times when we don't feel great, and rightly so. That's when we need to remember, hold on to what we do know, what we do know about God and his promises. Because that's what Joseph did, that's what Jacob did, and it's what we can do as well, whatever we're facing in our lives today. Amen.